Loving Father, please give us now the help of your Holy Spirit so that we are able to receive the word that you speak to us in Jesus our Lord. Amen. I, I do apologise. I had meant right at the start of the service to say an especial welcome to those who've come from Dinnington uh, to support Beverly and Laura. It's great that you're uh, here this morning. Um, today is the last um, Sunday of the church's year. The church has um, a, a rather eccentric um, year which doesn't map onto any other annual cycle particularly. But next week will be Advent Sunday, the start of the church's year. So today is the last Sunday um, of the church year and it's the day when the church celebrates Christ the King. And you'll have noticed in the prayers and certainly in the readings how we're encouraged to reflect on what it means for us to know and and to follow Christ as King. I want to reflect on that a bit further this morning with the candidates who are to be admitted to communion, baptised and confirmed this morning. I want to speak especially to you. Um, if other people present this morning want to eavesdrop, well, that's up to them. My younger son, Tom, passed his driving test in August at the second time of asking. He'd begun learning in the new year, um, partly by taking lessons with a professional instructor and partly by going out regularly in our family car with either Cathy, my wife, or I in the passenger seat doing our best to help him. At first, even for me, that was a hair-raising experience. <laughs> he would stall the car on a roundabout or misjudge his road position, going perilously close to the parked cars at the side of the road. But as a matter of fact, he never had a bump or a scrape, and gradually his standard improved so that Kathy and I grew more and more relaxed when we went out with him, until by the end we began to sense uh, that he was ready for his test. But, but actually, passing your driving test is just the beginning isn't it? Our Tom is still an inexperienced driver. He's not got to grips with motorway driving. He's never driven an automatic car. He's not driven abroad on the right-hand side of the road. So he's still got lots to discover, uh, lots to learn, and it would be a disaster if he stopped improving now. And as a matter of fact, that principle holds good in just about every sphere of life. The most gifted and dedicated people in any field go on and on and on learning. Musicians, writers, photographers, gardeners, sportsmen and women, nurses, knitters, carpenters, actors, artists, all of them know the value of lifelong learning. And so, of course, do Christians. Like passing a driving test, being admitted to Holy Communion, baptism, confirmation, these are not supposed to be the end point in our journey of following Jesus, but a staging post, a, a, a moment in a progression. And my prayer for those who are about to be baptised and confirmed this morning, and for Eleanor as she's admitted to Holy Communion, is that that will be true for you too. But now, think about Tom's driving instructor for a moment. You see, he came highly recommended in Sheffield. In fact, he had taught the son of our diocesan secretary to drive. His reviews were outstanding, and indeed, he proved to be an excellent instructor. But once upon a time, he was a learner driver too. 
Once upon a time, he was the one who did not know his clutch from his accelerator. He was the one who would stall his car at exactly the wrong moment. But now, he's not just an accomplished driver, he's an accomplished trainer of learner drivers. What I want to do for the next ten minutes or so is to home in on the words we heard as our gospel reading uh, a moment ago from the very end uh, of the gospel according to Matthew. It's printed on page seven of your service booklet and since I'm going to follow the words quite closely uh, you might find it handy to have um, the words in front of you. I want to home in on on what's usually called the Great Commission of Jesus to the church. And I want to ask what it means for you uh, as you take the step you're taking this morning. Uh, Though actually also what it means for a cathedral church, what it means for a diocese like ours. Um, What can we learn from these final instructions that the risen Jesus uh, gave um, to uh, his closest followers? The ones Matthew calls his disciples which, as a matter of fact, just means his learners. In fact, I want to skip over the fact that the 12 disciples minus Judas have travelled from Jerusalem to Galilee as they had been directed by Jesus when they saw him again. I want to skip over the fact that Matthew, ever the truth-teller, points out that although some worshipped at once their risen Lord, others doubted or hesitated, I'm skipping over those bits because I want to focus in on what Jesus then said. It's just 62 words in an English translation and a bit less than that in the original Greek. That means it's a bit longer than a tweet, but not much. It's just three sentences, but it's the punchline to the whole of Matthew's Gospel and its impact on human history has been extraordinary. Perhaps more than any other single passage of Scripture, it's these verses that launched the Church of Jesus Christ nearly 2,000 years ago on the adventure that would see Christian communities established in every nation under heaven, including the ones which were established in our islands, perhaps within 250 years of the date of Jesus' resurrection. If the Church of God is a worldwide community today, a truly global presence, then this short speech by Jesus, among the shortest of his speeches in the Gospel of Matthew, is one important reason for it. So bear with me if I go all grammatical on you for a moment. Just bear with me for a second if you can. I want you to notice that Jesus' speech is made up of three sentences, which are an assertion, then an instruction, and then a promise. First, he claims all authority, then he sends out his followers in mission, and then he assures them that he will be with them. Can you see that? And it's the middle sentence that interests me most. When Jesus sends out his followers in mission, in our English translation, that sentence begins, go. And it looks like that's a command, the key command, the the basis of everything that then follows. And and those of you who know your Bibles well can no doubt think of many other people in Scripture who were told by God, go. God told Abraham, go. Moses, Joshua, Gideon, David, Elijah, go. Then in the time of his earthly ministry, Jesus told the twelve and the seventy, go, and the centurion, and the Samaritan leper, and the hemorrhaging woman, and blind Bartimaeus, and the rich young ruler, all of them. He said, go. 
And the risen Jesus told the women at the tomb, and specifically Mary Magdalene, go. And the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, go. So it kind of doesn't surprise us if in our reading we see the risen Jesus saying to these 11, go, go take the gospel to all the nations. But as a matter of fact, in the Greek, the only command in these verses is the one to make disciples. A literal translation would be more like this. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Going, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them. It's not that the going is not important. It's almost taken for granted. But the emphasis in Jesus' words the command is to make disciples. That is the great commission Jesus gave to his followers and the church neglects it at its peril. So who are these ones instructed by Jesus to make disciples? Well, it's his disciples. Right at the heart of the calling to be a follower of Jesus is the commission to draw other people into following Jesus. Right at the heart of being a learner of Jesus is the responsibility to support and encourage other people to be learners of Jesus. And if you're being admitted to Holy Communion, if you're being baptised, if you're being confirmed this morning, you absolutely are a disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus. You share with the whole church a responsibility for helping other people to be followers and learners and disciples of Jesus. And the church is encouraged to do it by baptizing and teaching. Baptizing is basically a once-for-all action. It creates a line in the sand that people cross. It has a before and an after. To be baptized is to be brought into the Christian community, and it's given its full dignity by Jesus here. The Church of God is authorised, mandated, to baptise new followers with the Trinitarian formula in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So just give me a show of hands for a moment, if you would. If you've been baptised, could you raise your hand? Thank you. Hands down. If you've been baptised twice, could you raise your hand? So uh, one or two or three hands around the place. And I probably know the backstory. It's not very common. The backstory is usually that it happened when you were an infant and then again later when the step meant something to you. It's essentially a once-for-all action, a line in the sand. So hands up if you've been confirmed. Not so many hands, but lots. Hands down. Hands up if you've been confirmed more than once. So um, until yesterday, I'd never met someone who could put their hand up and say that they had been confirmed more than once. But now I understand that there are exceptions even to that rule. But the rule is that it is a once-for-all action, a line drawn in the stand with a before and an after. But baptism and confirmation alone are not enough to make learners Teaching is also required. Of course it is, because the root of the word disciple means a learner, and learning implies teaching. Of course, Jesus doesn't mean by teaching, lecturing. He's not referring to the classroom. 
He's encouraging the kind of teaching that we would think of now as coaching or mentoring, a role modelling. If baptising stretches the once-for-all nature of joining the community of Jesus' followers, then teaching stresses the lifelongness of our learning and of our growing up to the fullness of being followers of Jesus. And part of Jesus' point is that with the responsibility for your own lifelong learning comes a responsibility to support others and encourage them to be followers of Jesus too. So my challenge to you this morning as I finish is just this. To each of you being baptised, confirmed or admitted to Holy Communion, how will you continue to invest after today in your own formation, your own learning as a follower of Jesus? What will you do to promote your growth to maturity in Christ? How will you continue to learn as you seek to follow the Lord? And on top of that, as you become more and more fully a disciple yourself, a learner yourself, how will you support others and encourage them to be learners of Jesus too? Because I think this is true. The best teachers are always people who are still learning And the most dedicated learners always make really good teachers. They always help other people to learn too. So here again, the words of the risen Lord. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Going, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always, even to the end of the age.